tithing, I want to give you a potpourri of some leftovers, tie up some loose ends, answer some questions that came up regarding the first two sermons. So this isn't organized really as a sermon, but uh, it may have uh, a little disjointed nature in that sense, more like a Bible study uh, hitting questions. But I think there's some things here that we do need to address. So we'll get into that. One question came up, should we tithe on gross and net? Now, some of you may not have heard the first two sermons, but I went through in the first one and showed the system that was there under Moses and the laws that were there, how there were indeed a first and second tithe, one to support uh, the Levitical priesthood, one to make sure that we all attend God's holy days, his festivals, and have plenty to do that with, and thirdly, that every third and sixth year out of a seven-year cycle, there was a third tithe, which was for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the poor Levite, and for the stranger that is within our gates. Uh, That was corroborated both by scripture and in history to show that that indeed is the way that it was set up, and that under Herbert Armstrong, we were following the correct form. Then we addressed the New Testament in the second sermon, primarily the New Testament, in showing what the financial structure was in the early New Testament church, and then ended with Amos 4 and Malachi showing that those prophecies for the end time did indeed include tithing, which God condemns the end time ministry and the end time membership for not following through with properly. Uh, When they asked God, why are you mad at us? He says, well, a prime example is in tithing. Uh, One of the things he's angry about here at the end. So we certainly need to take that to heart. I do not want to be in the bad graces of God. I do not want him to remain angry at his church or you or me specifically. We need to be doing everything we can to please him. He is our father, and to show respect to him and to keep the fifth commandment, we must honor our father in heaven who has given us absolutely everything there is. Now, some of the things that we will cover today are perhaps a deepening of what I've said in the previous sermons, and part of them are some administrative questions that we need to address In other words, how do we apply the principles from the Old Testament to the New Testament today? Some questions that people have brought up in the past and I've read, uh, one is, if we're a nation of priests, why can't we just tithe to ourselves if we're all priests, as per 1 Peter 2? What about the gross and the net? Do we need to tithe on the gross, or is the net what God would have us do today? Uh, Quite a few things like that. Let's get to a little bit. Let's talk about the gross and the net, I think, first. Under Herbert Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God, it was always insisted upon 
that we tithe on our gross income if we were a wage earner. If you were a farmer or in business for yourself, you were to tithe on the net. Now, that always seemed to me a strange dichotomy. What does it take to produce income? The farmer, for example, has to buy seed, he has to buy fuel, he has to he has expenses incurred in producing a crop. Now, when he harvests a crop, does he pay tithes on everything that he sells, or does he adjust that based on what his expenses were? In other words, what is increase? Is the increase what you sell the crop for, or is the increase what you sell the crop for adjusted for the expense of producing that crop? And that, I believe, is the correct answer. You are, what does increase mean? The word means bettered, or enriched might be a better word. Now, if it costs me 50 cents to earn a dollar, by how much am I enriched? I am enriched by the profits. I only made 50 cents. I already had 50 cents, see? And I spent that to make a dollar. Therefore, I'm only increased by 50 cents. I'm enriched by 50 cents because I had to put some out to gain. So I don't count that which I put out to start with in order to earn an increase. So I'm only enriched by the 50 cents. Now, what about a wage earner? He was never allowed to deduct anything. But does it not cost a certain amount to commute back and forth to work? Does it not, in some, some cases, require specific tools to do your work? Is not that, in that sense, the same category as the farmer? Well, let's say you're a businessman. That's the same category as the farmer entirely. You have to have the truck to go to work. You have to have the tools to, to build a house in order to sell it to earn money, but what about the wage earner himself? Perhaps he could deduct some of the expenses or the expenses that are absolutely required to earn that paycheck. You go, you work for someone else, but it requires a certain amount to arrive at work and to come back from work. Now, maybe there is some intrinsic penalty for being a wage earner instead of a businessman. We need to understand that God wanted us all to be business people. His intent was that we all work for ourselves. That is the vine and fig tree principle. He did not intend a highly industrialized factory society. And when we have made our slave, ourselves slaves to that type of system, 
then there is a certain intrinsic penalty that comes with not doing things the better way, the way that God would have intended in the first place. So you may be stuck with some costs that would not legitimately be deductible. Perhaps Mr. Armstrong had a right thought in a way there. You see, when you had to enslave yourself to someone else because of debt and work for them for wages, you, in its essence, became a slave to them. And when we cannot obtain whatever education is necessary, cannot manage our lives and our finances in such a way as to be able to support ourselves, then we put ourselves in bond or in slavery to someone else who can manage, who can run a business, who can provide employment for us. That is not the best situation. It is not what God intended And there are rules in the Mosaic Law about that. How you were to treat a slave, or if you were a slave, how you were to react to your master. And in essence, that's what our manufacturing, industrialized society is today, is a slave-master relationship. So there may not be any completely fair way to say you can deduct this, 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 and this if you have made yourself a slave because you've already proved you can't manage anyhow. Hopefully we will come out of the slavery system and be able to each manage his life in such a way that he can take care of himself without having to work for someone else. That is the optimal. Sometimes because of the society, the way it has been set up, we are chained to that, and in some cases we may not be able to get loose. And that provision was made for in the Mosaic Law. Some people cannot get loose from that system. Maybe you've already been in it for 20, 30, 40 years, and, and you're chained there. Now, in considering enrichment or increase, if you work for a living and the government takes 25 to 40 percent before you ever even see it, comes out in taxes and withholding before you ever can see it, I have a question for you. Are you enriched by that? Is your life made better but that by that money which you supposedly earned but never see? Is that a part of the cost of doing business and earning a living? And I submit that may very well be the case. Because God tells us to tithe on the increase, not on the cost of doing business. In other words, the net. And I think that that principle should be applied to both the wage earner and the businessman, insomuch as it is an equitable way of doing it and can be done that way. 
Now, if they take withholding and Social Security from you and pension from you before you ever see it and you are not enriched by it, what about when it comes back to you in terms of Social Security or pension? If you pay on the net, you are being then enriched when it comes back to you or when you first receive it. In other words, it's deferred increase. You earn it today, they take it away from you, and they give it back to you 20 or 30 or 40 years later. I would say this about that kind of increase. If you tithed on your gross through 20, 30, 40 years in God's church, then when that Social Security or pension comes back to you, you have already tithed on it. Because you were tithing on it, even though you never saw it. You were not enriched by it. You are only enriched maybe 30 or 40 years later when you do receive it. Now, if you tithe on the gross, you've already tithed on it. So when it comes back to you, you don't know tithe on it. On the other, and Mr. Armstrong operated on that basis that everyone was paying on gross, and therefore when it came back in Social Security or pension, it did not need to be tithed, and I believe that that is correct. On the other hand, if you choose to tithe on the net just what is left of your check when you actually receive it, and withholding and Social Security, everything's out of it. If you choose to tithe on the net, then I submit to you that when you receive that money back that you never saw and weren't enriched by, you were enriched at the time that it comes back to you. Therefore, you would owe tithe on Social Security and pension funds as you were enriched by it. In other words, you tithe on it if you didn't tithe on it. If you did tithe on it, then you don't tithe on it. That simple. So, some of you have been tithing on the gross for 20, 30, 40 years, and you've already paid tithes on that. And you won't owe when you get your Social Security check. But if all this time you've only been tithing on that, when you're increased is when you pay the tithe. So I think there is room for us to tithe as, an, as a wage earner on the net. That is, what you actually receive. That's how much you were increased by. But you may receive some of that increase on down the line, then you are liable for it. I think he was in he was